All right, stand to your feet. We're going to wrap this whole thing up today. And I'm praying that this helps you. I'm praying that, um, that we're going to demystify some things in your life. We've been talking about serving, saving, shaping uh, our world, our community through Jesus Christ. We're going to serve people. We're going to present the gospel to them. We're going to shape them into committed servants. So we spent a month talking about each one of those. So we're going to wrap it all up today. Are you ready? Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this today. We believe every time we look into your word, it has the power to renew our minds, change the way we think. And when it changes the way we think, it'll change what we do. So we pray, Lord, that today would be no different. We know your word says if we'll gather together like this, you wouldn't miss the meeting. So we came with the assumption that your presence would be here and that it would impact us for your glory. So we pray, Lord, that as we dig into your word and it renews our minds, that when we go, it would change not only us, but our community. Do what you do. And we thank you for choosing to do it through us. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. Paul, in this section of his letter to the Ephesians, is is instructing them on how to live. They're kind of brand new into this faith. Some of you, some of you may, may be brand new to church, maybe brand new to a faith in Christ. Some of you, maybe 40, 50 years you've been serving God. But at some point in time, it wasn't, it wasn't crystal clear. How do I do this thing? How do I, do I drink a little? Do I drink a lot? Do I cuss? Do I not cuss? Is God okay with a little bit of cussing? How, how's, it, how's it all work out? So Paul's giving these principles. And if you back up to the chapter before, he's covering a lot of it. He's saying... Put away their old self, the old ways they were taught. Change the way you think. He says, be honest. He doesn't cover every circumstance that you have the potential to be dishonest. But he says, listen, if you're going to follow Christ, just be honest. All the time be honest. He says, get rid of unwholesome talk. Get rid of anger and bitterness. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality. He's not... He's not debating what is sexual immorality. I think that he said, get rid of all of it. If there's a question, don't do it. On the safe side, honor God. So, so this culture was full of these type of things. And he's saying, don't, don't do what you used to do. You're a follower of Christ now, so let's put all that away. And then he kind of does this summary. In verse 15, he says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So even all the way back then, he said, look, we're not living in the most wholesome times. So make sure that you're wise about this stuff. Make sure that you're following Christ. So he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So I want to try to help you out today in the context of what we've been talking about, serving, saving, shaping. I want to I help you today. We're going to take the mystery out of God's will for your life. That's the first thing. We're going to take the mystery out of it. Because I, I grew up with kind of like this, 
there's, there's the Lord's will to be done. And now I'm trying to figure out what the Lord's will is. Because the God who created the heavens and the earth and made everything that you see, it breathed life into man and gave us the life we live, all of a sudden is hiding his will for us. And we have to really look hard to find it. But if you look at what Paul says here, he says, don't be unwise, don't be foolish. He says, know what the Lord's will is. That's like an emphatic statement. He didn't say, search around in the cosmos and maybe God will be generous enough and gracious enough to give you a little glimpse into what he wants you to do. No, Paul says, if you're going to leave the life of sin, if you're going to leave what you were taught before, don't be unwise or foolish. Know what God wants you to do. Some of you sitting here, you'd be like, man, I've been praying that. I've been asking God, God, what do you want me to do? What's your will for me? So we're going to take the mystery out of it today. I don't think it needs to be this mysterious thing. I, when I grew up, it was like, oh, you got to pray the Lord's will. You got to, Lord, show me what to do. And, you know, like, Lord, if it's true, put a double rainbow in the sky. <laughs> anybody? Anybody remember those? Lord, like, so we read circumstances in scripture where people, we, in the old church, we called them fleeces. And I used to grow up in a kid like, why would you wear fleece all the time? Why would you, what is a fleece? And it's a story about getting, it's, you can go back and research all that, but it's like always putting out a test for God to figure out what he wants you to do. Lord, if I wake up in the morning and my wife's smiling, it's a good sign. If I wake up in the morning and she's not, I'm going to do what I want to anyway, but that's, a, that's beside the point. But at least I'll know your will. No. So we, we throw out these conditions, Lord. If it's, okay, make it not rain tomorrow, but make it rain for the next three consecutive days, and then I'll know you're really serious about me doing this. And it's all this, like, how do I figure it out? It's all confusing, and I don't understand what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I don't know if I should marry or should not marry. I don't know if I should buy the house. or I don't know if I should move or not move. I, Lord, what's your will for my life? But Paul says, know what it is. And so now there's this tension because... The will of God seems so hard to figure out, but Paul's going, no, don't be foolish. Know what it is. I'm like, okay, so there must be a way to find out what it is. So I started looking at God, overarching circumstance. What do you want us to do all the time? Because when you know what God wants you to do all the time, then you by default know God's, oh. This is going to be a good sermon. You're paying attention. <laughs> Paul indicates that you can understand the Lord's will. So I'm going to read you three portions of scripture. Matthew chapter 1 at 20. So I don't believe serve, save, shape is just a vision for the church. So you say, yeah, man, we studied the vision for the church. The issue is you are the church. It'd be pointless to have a building with a vision. The building's not going to do anything. The people in the building do everything. So serve, save, shape can be, the, can be the vision for our lives. What's God's will in my life? Okay, let's find out. Let's find out. Matthew chapter 20, verse 24. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. A little backstory. James and John's mother came and asked, them, asked for a pro- promotion. I've told you before, if you're an adult, you should never let your mother ask for a promotion. It's weird. It's weird for your employer. Like I'm like 35 years old. My mom calls them and says, hey. My son's really good. I think you need to give him a promotion. This is what happens here. They come to Jesus. 
James and John's mother come to Jesus and she says, hey, when you come into your kingdom, put one of my sons on your right, one on your left. He says, you don't even know what you're asking about. All the other disciples find out about it and they're like, dude, are you trying to step over me? You're trying to get a promotion while I'm back here doing all the work? So here's a conversation that happens. When the twin heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. So there's a little power struggle inside the disciples following Jesus. That never happens in the church, does it? So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. There's a scripture up there coming. Not so with you. It said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. What's God's will in your life? Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So we're taking the mystery out of it. What is God's will for you today? To serve. See the opportunity to serve. So let's go to Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders, Peter, Peter just healed a man. Now they're getting called on the carpet for healing a guy. So he's in front of the rulers at that time, and they're, they're saying, well, who, how did you do this? And they're just drilling on it. And this is Peter's response. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers, rulers and elders of the people, if we were being called to account today for the act of kindness, they serve somebody act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He said, Jesus healed this guy. You're yelling at me, and it was in the name of Jesus he was healed. He also threw in there that they crucified him, which I'm sure they weren't happy with. So here's what he says. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. What's God's will for your life? Serve people. Tell them Jesus is the way to heaven. You can take the mystery out of it. I know you're like, well, it's not that simple. Hang in there. Then Matthew 28, 19, so serve, save, shape. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we try to figure out, Lord, what do you specifically want? Do you want me to sell the house? Do you not want me to sell the house? Do you want me to move? Do you not want me? God, tell me. And God's going, I want you to serve people. I want you to proclaim my name. I want you to shape people. And so here's what I figured out. I figured out there's some things God doesn't care what you do. You're like, I knew I love this church. <laughs> I don't think God cares what you're getting ready to have for lunch. I mean, if you've got a problem with the food you take, like, be, be smart about it. But I'm not praying over my food to figure out what to eat. I'm not going, Lord, fill me with your spirit so I know, is it, is it the salmon today or the chicken? Lord, I don't want to get this wrong. But you see, we spend a lot of times praying about things that I'm not sure God really cares about. 
Because at the end of the day, he's working his will out through circumstances in our lives. So when I spend a lot of time praying about, Lord, do you want me to do this or do that? I would say, if it's a good time to sell your house and you can make money on it, cha-ching, let's make it happen. But in the middle of that, you ask God, is there somebody I can serve? Come on. Is there somebody I can serve through selling this house? Lord, is the opportunity, are you more concerned about me selling the house or are you more concerned about me serve, save, shape while the house is being sold? So now it eases up your life, doesn't it? Should I take this job? I don't know. Is it a good opportunity? Well, I don't know if it's the Lord's will. Me neither. But here's what I know. He wants you to serve, save, shape no matter what job you take. Now, I'm going to get to the next part, and some of you are going to go. <laughs> so you have to understand that God's will has been revealed to us. He's not some mysterious cosmic force out there playing hide-and-go-seek with you. He's not trying purposefully to keep his will from you so that you can't accomplish it. Paul says, don't be foolish. Know what it is. What is it? It's to serve people, it's to present the gospel to them, and it's then to be in relationship long enough to shape them. That's what it is. So no matter where I go, what I do, what circumstance I'm in, boom, the Lord's will is clear. Amen? When I, let me say it like this, when I separated certain things and made them less confusing, everything became a lot easier. You know why? I've got some... Beth and I have done some business things outside the church. I used to pray, God, do you want me to do this? God, do you want me to do this? God, do you want me to do this? And then I realized, God wants me to be generous. Oh, I didn't even talk about that yet. We could spend a year on that. God wants me generous. So if there's a business opportunity where I could make more money and I'm serving people, saving people, shaping people in that adventure, then guess what? At the end of the day, if I make more money to be more generous, then guess what? It's the will of God. So guess what? I don't even pray about it anymore. The Lord wants me to make more money just like he was. Lord, should I be poor? No. No. See, we pray about things, and then we miss the opportunity that God really put in front of us. I'm not saying don't pray about it, but I want you to pray about the right thing. Lord, there's this thing going on, and I believe you're orchestrating an opportunity for me to serve. I'm not going to miss it. I don't care what the circumstances. Lord, I think you're orchestrating an opportunity for me to tell somebody that you're the only way to heaven. And I'm not going to miss it. I, Lord, I believe you're orchestrating an opportunity right now where I'm going to have the opportunity to shape somebody in a committed, and I'm not going to miss it. So what I do is I pray more about, Lord, what do you want me to do in this circumstance rather than the circumstance? Because if I've lived long enough to realize you can't control every circumstance, you can only control what you do in the circumstance. So what you're really doing is you're praying to be perfect in God's will in the sense that I don't want to mess anything up. I told the first service this. We're really asking God, not what do I do in the circumstance. We want him to give us six months out. You think that's the cheat code on life. Lord, what do you want me to do? How about you tell me what I'm supposed to do a year from now? 
and then I can get ready for it. And he goes, no, no, no. Why don't you focus on serve, save, shape right now? You know what the Lord's will is. Do it right now. But we say, no, 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 give me six months. If I knew six months, I'd be a lot more comfortable and I wouldn't have to trust you. Uh Uh-oh. I wouldn't have to trust you if I knew a year out what I was supposed to do. He says, no, 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 don't worry about a year out. Don't be anxious about what you wear or what you eat. I find that in the Bible somewhere, don't I? Don't be anxious like the pagans run about worrying about all this stuff. Don't be anxious. But then Paul comes along and says, hey, know what the Lord's will is. So Paul, whether I'm well fed or not fed at all, I'm fine anywhere in between on that spectrum because I know what the will of the Lord is. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be serving no matter if I got a lot of money or a little money. I'm supposed to be telling people about Jesus, whether I've got a lot of money or a little, whether it's all going right or none of it's going right. The Lord's will is the same for me. Amen. All right. Just getting warmed up. Every situation has an opportunity. Look at your neighbor and say, every situation has an opportunity. Every situation has an opportunity. Here's the issue. I don't want anybody in our church ever saying this. I don't get the opportunities everybody else gets. Because you get the opportunities everybody else gets. We just don't see them. Amen? Come on, help me out. We get the same up. Lord, the prayer is help me see the opportunity now. Now, here's what's going to blow your mind. Any perfectionists in the building? You're, you're wondering right now that I raised my hand right? I think it is. It's pretty good. I don't know. They're probably criticizing me right now, but I don't care because it's perfect. Perfectionist in the building. Okay. Can I help you out? This will help you out immensely. God's will for your life is to succeed and to fail. Four of you are like, I'm leaving. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't. I can't. What are, you, what are you talking about failing? God never fails. He said he never failed me. That means I'll never fail. That's not what it means. That means when you fail, he won't. So here's what, here's what I've started figuring out. Every circumstance has an opportunity. That means your failure has an opportunity. As adverse to it as you are, as as much as it makes you break out in hives and sweat and stay up all night, as much as you, I hate failure. I despise it with a passion. But the older I get, the more I realize there's more opportunities in failure than there are in successes. Because guess what? A perfect preacher can't minister to anyone. Oh. You're no good to your kids if you never messed up. You're no good. It's like, well, dad was always perfect. Or at least that's the image he puts in front of me. So I just got over it a long time ago. And I looked at my son and I went, yeah, I did those things. I remember walking up to a WVU game and it was debauchery all around us. (laughs) And I remember him looking at me and I said, Carter, this is not what success looks like. That's my famous line to him. This is not what success looks like. He looked up at me and he went, didn't you do this when you were in college? And I went, shut up, boy. (laughs) I didn't say that. (laughs) That would have been a good comeback, though. No, I said, I need you to understand where it got me. I'm a pastor of a great church now. (laughs) I didn't say that either. 
<laughs> I said, you saw, I said, I've explained to you the difficulty it produced in my life. But God's will can work through that. Amen? So, so watch. So if you're a pass or fail type person, like fail, that was pointless, pass, I can deal with that. Fail, pointless, pass, then you're, you're gonna miss half of what God wants, you to, wants to teach you. Because, because a good portion of our life consists of failures. So what I have to realize is when it seems like my marriage is failing, God's will hasn't changed. When, it's, when Beth and I have been through really difficult times, I didn't look up and go, God, did your will change for my life? No, the same thing was true. Paul said, don't be foolish, know the will of God. So in the middle of difficulties, even in marriage, you go, "What, God, what do you want me? I want you to serve. Some of you are biting your lip. I ain't serving him. God's will didn't change. Just because the circumstances got difficult. God's will didn't change just because it looks like failure. God's will didn't change just because it's not working out for you. God's will stay the same. And what he wants is, is us to be confident that when we wake up in the morning, we've got a grip on it. Lord, whatever, Beth and I pray this in the morning. Lord, whatever comes our way, we will trust you with it today. So what happens then is this. I have been in circumstances where Beth and I have held hands and prayed and said, Lord, your will be done. We want your will to be done here on this thing. And we pray that your will be done. And if it's not, and if you don't want us to do this, we'll walk away. And it was a big financial risk. And, and we walked into a bank and walked back out. And we were like, Lord, you made a miracle happen. This is unbelievable. It's so, it's so perfect, your will. A couple months later, we thought the whole thing was crashing. That's not an exaggeration. I'm a pastor fail guy. At least I was back then. And I started saying, that must not have been the will of God. That must not have been the will of God because it didn't work like I thought it was going to work. That must not have been the will of God. I must have married the wrong person. I must have got the wrong job. I must have done the wrong thing. I must have done the wrong thing. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about when life just doesn't work out. Don't misunderstand me. Don't go out and say, hey, Pastor Chris says, send it up because God can use it. I need a testimony. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, Paul said emphatically, don't sin that more grace can abound in your life. That's not the goal. You're like, man, I turned 50. I got a great testimony. Now I wrecked everything. But when you're confused about the will of God, he is not confused. So I've told you this story before. We sat in counseling and I had a PhD clinical psychologist with a, with a seminary degree look at me and say, Chris, just because it didn't turn out the way you wanted it to, does that mean it wasn't God's will? And I went, dude, I'm paying you. You say something nice from now on. And I realized right then I was praying about the wrong thing. God's will was not a mystery to me. It was to serve in the context of where I was, whether it was pass or fail or success or failure, it didn't matter. He was calling me to serve no matter what. And some of the most meaningful serving, saving, shaping opportunities you'll have when your life is down. Because when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, more people are down there. I don't know if you looked, but there's not a lot of people living on Mount Everest. They're all down in the bottom. 
And so Jesus, I told you last week, he didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. And the sick live in the valley of the shadow of death. So maybe it's God's will every now and then in my life to take a trek down there and serve somebody. Amen? So here, here's the thing. So if you look at it as pass or fail, you'll skip the valley every time. If you look at it as pass, you'll look down and you go, nope, that was a failure. I can't do anything with that. I've been reading books on failure because I'm good at it. Like, I need some self-esteem here. Read Albert Einstein once said, failure is success and progress. What really matters isn't that you managed to avoid failure your entire life. It's that you went after your goals and learned the lessons behind the inevitable failures that came your way. If you're failing, you're not a failure. You're carrying out God's will in a more difficult circumstance. It doesn't have to be cloudy. It doesn't have to be a mystery. Lord, so if I had to do all that over again, which I don't want to do, I would change the way I pray. I wouldn't say, Lord, what are you doing? I would say, Lord, how do you want me to serve in this? Who do you want me to miss? Who do you want me to shape? Lord, through my difficulties, through these, through these temporary sufferings, through these light and momentary, Paul said, so these things that in the scope of everything aren't going to kill me, how do you want me to serve? How do you want me to tell people about you? How do you want me? Get, let me see the opportunity in every circumstance. Amen? Amen. Let me tell you one, little, one more little story. Uh, we just got back from a fishing trip. That's why I got a good, good nice uh, end of September tan. <laughs> and a um, whole bunch of guys from the church, about 22 of us this year, went down to this really remote place on the Outer Banks, as far on the Outer Banks down south as you can go. There's no more land after where we are. And it's this... It's like a magical place. It's unbelievable. And, and we go down there. The first year we went down there, we are, um, I'm taking my truck, man. Because I got this big, nice, white Ford truck. So we, we drive down there. You drive to drive eight hours down North Carolina. You get on a ferry. Then you have to drive an hour on the sand to get down to the end of the point. It's, it's remote. There's nothing out there. I find out that the cheapest tow bill off of that island is $1,000. That's right up our alley, man. We're going to do something dangerous. So we, I drive my truck all the way down. There's people riding with me. We get down there fine. I pull onto the sand, and my truck starts to overheat. That ain't going to deter me. We're going fishing. So we just pour more water in it. So I drive it an hour down the beach. I got no thought about how to get back. All I'm thinking about is fishing. So as most men would do, we don't think about maybe we should come back while it's daylight. There's fish to be caught. So we wait till 9 o'clock to leave. It's already dark. So we start to come back. My truck overheats again. So, so we filled up five-gallon buckets of water. There's a little hydrant near the bathroom. It's about three-quarters of the way down. Fill up five-gallon bucket, five buckets of water. So we're coming back. We're dumping water in my truck like crazy. I'm a pretty calm guy. So what happens is we get about seven miles away from the cabin. We're out of water. We're, we're out of the buckets of water. All we have now is drinking water, 20-ounce bottles of drinking water. It's 930 at night. There's not a light anywhere on this place. We got headlamps. I'm laying under my truck on a piece of cardboard and watching water fall out of my truck. 
And this thing inside of me is going, don't freak out, 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 don't freak out. Everybody's watching. Don't freak out, don't freak out. There's like 11 other guys there. I'm the pastor, and I may or may not cuss a little bit still. And I'm going, this is not, this is not when you want to do this, Chris. Not when you want to. My wife's going to kill me. So what happens is this. I'm looking up. Anybody else like this just run through your mind? Here's what you say. God, why me? Are you kidding me? Why now? All I want to do is come down here, have a good time with these guys, and now my stupid truck, you let me buy this. You go through the whole thing, right? And so I'm laying under this truck, and I look up, and I see a hose clamp that's not where it should be. My buddy Mike is leaning over the front. I go, Mike, do you see that hose clamp? He's like, yeah. I go, it's like six inches away from where it should be. He's like, yeah, it looks like it is. I said, is that where the water's coming out? He said, yeah. And then I thought, you were the one that took that off. I'm the one that moved the hose clamp. I've been working on my truck about three months before that, and I had taken that hose off, moved the clamp up, jammed the hose back on, didn't put the clamp back on. I'm just driving around town, never affects it. Now I'm really trying not to flip out. So here's what I realized. That was my fault. God didn't have anything to do with it. I was laying under that truck, just covered in anxiety and and anger, trying to figure out why is this happening? I just want to have a good weekend away to realize that I was the cause of it, first of all. Second of all this, there was an opportunity to shape men that day. What I didn't realize is they were all standing back like this going, is the preacher going to flip out? This is going to be fun. This is, if the preacher flips out, this is going to be fun. We're going to give him about 30 more seconds, see if he flips out. You know what the testimony from that weekend came away? I heard people say that didn't go to our church, I'm surprised he kept his cool. They didn't know what was going on inside. You know what the Lord's will is? Even if you cause the problem, serve, save, shape. Every circumstance, there's an opportunity. Every circumstance, there's an opportunity. All right, the band's going to come up. We're going to end with this. Take the advantage. I like the way Paul says this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns. So watch what he does. He switches here. He goes, don't be foolish. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Don't be foolish. Know what the Lord's will is. And then he switches. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. We're a Pentecostal church. We're part of the Assemblies of God. And, um, and I, I, I've heard this scripture in years past, I think, taken out of context. And it worked like this. Don't be drunk with wine. Be drunk with the Holy Spirit. You can act the same way. <laughs> That's not what it means. It says, the Ephesian church... In Ephesus, 
they had a culture, a, a drinking problem in their culture. Paul's saying, listen, don't do that. It leads to debauchery. That's not going to let you fulfill the Lord's will in your life. Don't do that. Don't, he's going back to the beginning. Don't, don't follow the way that you left. Don't keep doing that. Instead of doing that, be filled with the spirit. Be filled with the spirit. Now we also know that Paul writes Timothy later on and he says that the spirit did not give you a spirit of fear, but the spirit of God gives you power, love, and a sound mind, the clear ability to think. So Paul's not contradicting himself here saying, don't be drunk on wine, but you can act like an idiot on the Holy Ghost. He's saying you have an advantage now. You have an advantage because you can wake up every morning and say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, I want to make the right decision today. I want to see the opportunity. So give me the advantage to see it. And you know how that is? Lord, just fill me with your spirit today. Fill me with your spirit so that I can take advantage of every opportunity. I don't want to just see them. I want to take advantage of them. So here's what, here's what we do most mornings. Before we walk out of the house, we'll say, Lord, your word says you'll direct our steps, that your lamp to our feet and light to our path, that you'll make it straight. And Lord, help us, whatever comes today, we trust you with it. So he fills us with his spirit and then we can just assume in every circumstance that he's directing our steps. So now I'm looking at it different. Now if it goes bad, I go, Lord, you led me this way. But there's still an opportunity here. And your spirit in me helps me take advantage of it. So, so I want, I want you to wake up tomorrow morning with more confidence that you've ever had before, that you know the will of God in your life. Your situation may be confusing. Your circumstance may look like failure. It may look like trouble. It may look like, I don't even know how to get out of this. But tomorrow morning, you can wake up and say, God, fill me with your spirit and give me the confidence that you're directing my steps because that's what you promised. And in light of that, I know what your will is. So when I go to work for the jerk that I've been working for for the last 20 years, now I've got a different attitude because now I know your will in my life is to serve. I don't have to wonder about it. I don't even have to wonder when you're going to get me a new job because as long as you have me here, it's to serve. As long as you have me here, it's to proclaim your gospel. As long as you have me here, it's to shape. So the mystery is taken out of it. You get to see the opportunity in every circumstance. And through the Holy Spirit, we can take advantage of it. Amen? Come on, stand to your feet. We're going to pray like that. Lord, we pray that you'd fill us today. Lord, Paul writes as an indication of this continual filling, not a one-time deal, but, but Lord, you can fill us with your spirit every day that we walk this planet. Lord, we can start out the morning full of the spirit of God. So we pray that today. We pray right now. Everyone that proclaims your name, Lord, you fill us with your spirit. Fill us to overflowing. And Lord, we pray that we would not be confused anymore. Lord, that in every circumstance represented in this church, I pray that we see your will and we know what it is.
we see the opportunity to serve, see the opportunity to save, see the opportunity to shape. And Lord, with your spirit in us, we pray that we take advantage of it. God, do the work through us in our community. Lord, we pray that as we're confident about your will in our lives, it would change the community we live in. It would change the people around us. It would change our families. Lord, and it would just trickle out like your word says it will. And we pray, Lord, that because we're confident of what you've called us to, we're confident of your will in our lives, that your name would be made great. Fill us today and give us the advantage to do that. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Come on, church, could you say amen? Give him praise this morning. He's good. Amen. Hey, listen, encourage somebody, serve somebody this week, tell somebody about Jesus, and shape somebody. We'll see you next week right here.